Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome today's program, Chris Jones, who's Executive VP Marketing and Services at Descartes. And today, today we're going to talk about how vulnerable is your supply chains? Um, well, you know, back in February of uh, February 24th, President Biden here in the United States issued the Executive Order on America's Supply Chains, which requires, you know, a review of, of potential of vulnerabilities in U.S. supply chains uh, of key industries to kind of prevent some of the disruptions um, that, you know, and shortages that we saw, you know, during the pandemic here. So the question becomes, you know, what defines supply chain vulnerability and what tools and capabilities can companies use to assess and determine, you know, the, the vulnerability of their supply chains? Well, those are the key questions we're going to address in today's episode, uh, you know, with Chris, and he's also going to share some uh, data and insights from an analysis that uh, Descartes recently uh, completed and, and published in a recent white paper. So he'll walk us through, you know, give us some examples through, through that analysis. So with that, Chris, welcome to the program. Great, thanks, Adrian, uh, pleasure to be here. So, uh, you know, Chris, I know, I, I know when I saw the announcement or the executive order back in February, I, I you know, I, I think this is like the first time that I saw a, a president, you know, really talking about, uh, you know, supply chains and really talking about, you know, risk and talking about resiliency and, and so forth. And, um, you know, it certainly piqued my interest and, and certainly that led you guys uh, there at Descartes to do some, you know, some analysis, which you're going to get to in, in, in a few minutes here. But I guess as a way to kind of, um, you know, start the conversation, I mean, from your perspective and the way you approached, uh, you know, your, uh, the research and analysis that you did, I mean, what defines supply chain vulnerability? Um, you know, that, that is what, what factors make a supply chain more vulnerable than others? Well, I, you know, there's a lot of them, but uh, well, let's get to maybe a, kind of a couple ones. And, and I think the pandemic just really exposed them. So one of them is what we would call concentration of the, the source. Um, and what's interesting about this, uh, uh, conversation and this definition now is that, for instance, um, people would say, well, I don't have a lot of vulnerability because I have five manufacturers. Well, last March, we learned that when all five of those sat in China and they were shut down, that there was really, you know, no um, diversity there from a geographic perspective. So, you know, that's, that is, is definitely one of them. Um, the second one is, um, focusing on um, uh, what, what I would call the, uh, the country-specific uh, activities that are going on. Uh, you know, it's, don't want to really talk about uh, geopolitical issues, but we can't be blind to it. So, uh, you know, uh, as we look at uh, U.S. trading relations with China or with other countries, um, you know, uh, things like rare earth uh, minerals, which we don't actually use a lot of, but come from two countries who we are not in very good shape with at the moment. You know, that's another uh, aspect of this. Um, others are uh, dealing with, for instance, the ability to get the goods moved. Uh, you know, um, we're seeing this right now, actually, on, on our own ports, <laughs> right? So forget about other countries. We have a problem on the West Coast here where we can't get uh, goods off ships. Um, and then the, the, uh, probably the last one is really more of a recent phenomenon, but it's, you know, I think it's really kind of shown itself, which is uh, it's uh, our supply chains were so highly tuned, right? Um, that when you have the disruptions we've had and particularly things like imbalance in uh, container locations uh, or containers in locations, 
uh, now all of a sudden you recognize that, um, you know, you can't get goods moved or you can't get them moved for extended periods, be not because of a couple, a lack of availability of the product, but of availability of the assets to get it moved. You know, it's going in the wrong direction or it's going in a trade lane that, uh, for instance, people don't want to serve at this point in time. So that's a, just a couple of good examples. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of factors there. And I think that's what complicates the analysis for some folks is that, you, you know, you really have to, you know, take this broad perspective as, as you, you know, talked about it, because there's a lot of, you know, sourcing related issues uh, or, or factors related to it. There's logistics and, and infrastructure related issues to it. And then there's, you know, as you brought up, you know, some geopolitical things and, and you know, things that might be future risks that have to kind of get, you know, put into all of this. Um, so with that in mind, I mean, I think a lot of companies can, think through these topics at a high level, a generic level, but ultimately, you know, what tools or capabilities are available today to, for companies to, to kind of more in a more detailed manner, perhaps, or a more um, uh, form, a formal manner, kind of assess and analyze, the, you know, the vulnerability of their supply chains? Well, we have a tool called uh, Descartes Data Mind, and it's a global trade intelligence tool. So what it understands is trade flows across the globe. So what it gives you is, I really call it a macro level perspective, uh, not just your supply chain, uh, not even just your industry, but if you're looking at commodities, you may want to understand where those commodities are coming from and moving globally. You know, when we think about trade and particularly in the US, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, the number one uh, economy in the world, but we're still a fraction of the, of the uh, global economy. And there's a lot of goods that move uh, that never touch our borders, that we don't have any uh, view to it. So when you start thinking about um, sourcing, and this, by the way, is how we got into this whole conversation. So the, the Biden executive order was actually, um, that really kind of put us into gear for the research that we just put out. But we actually started this uh, analysis already because we were seeing things with lithium-ion batteries. We were seeing things with semiconductors, as you know, with uh, automotive factories having to shut down. Um, and, uh, and so kind of long story short, what we're using, uh, the Descartes data mine to do is understand those flows. So what, what imports are coming into the U S, um, uh, where do they come in? So that conversation around, uh, things like, uh, concentration, right. Uh, where are goods moving that don't come into the U S that you're like, well, why aren't we gaining access to that as an example? But there's two other things that are really part of this conversation too, right? It's great to be able to know who the alternative suppliers are out there, particularly if you're looking at different sourcing options, right? But you also need to look at this from a tariff perspective. And we're actually going to talk about this a little bit today. So as you know, uh, with the previous administration and quite frankly, subsequent uh, or previous to them, even administrations, uh, they have put tariffs in place. And so there, there are countries where you can uh, go get uh, goods, but you're going to find a quite a bit of variation in the tariffs. So while there might be a source, it may not economically make sense based on tariffs. Then the last point uh, is you really need to vet um, the uh, potential suppliers that you're gonna be looking at because uh, unfortunately these days, there are a lot of corporations are owned by organizations, uh, this, and this is abroad, that the US government uh, restricts access to. So it's important to understand who you're sourcing from uh, that, and that could be uh, ownership of the company. And by the way, that's more than 50% these days. Uh, there are lists for that. It could be uh, from countries. It could be from individuals that 
themselves, right? So these are all things that play into play. So our view is there's, I'll call it, there's simple uh, three themes here. You want to identify, okay, and that's the whole notion of what we're doing with global uh, the uh, data mine. Uh, analyze and so look at the the you know potential landed costs as an example, and then really vet the the potential um, uh, suppliers to 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 get a good handle on whether or not you can work with them. You know, you you brought up a good point, and I know um, you know you're going to touch upon this in in the analysis now, but uh, you know the good point about. Um, thinking about some of the global trade implications, particularly tariffs, and how um, you know that has an impact in, in the analysis and, and how you think through this. So, so let's look at some of the uh, you know supply chains that you analyzed in your recent report. You know, including lithium ion lithium ion batteries, pharmaceuticals, and and PPE. I mean, can you walk us through um, you know the data and analysis and and how you came up with kind of the vulnerability scores for for each one? Sure, uh, happy to do it, Adrian. So let's take a look at lithium ion batteries. Um, what you're seeing on this screen is this past year, uh, 2020, and the US imports of those batteries. Um, there's two things on these charts. Uh, the first one is uh, the volume. So over the course of the year, uh, you can see that volumes picked up considerably uh, in terms of units. Uh, you can see about 40 million at one point in Q1, all the way up to over 90 in Q4. Um, and then when you look at the value, you can see that it moved along pretty steadily here. Now, what's interesting is that the, the volume uh, from a mathematical perspective versus 2019 was up 11%, but the value, so the declared value was up over 30. That tells us that um, you know, there's way more demand and, and prices are rising accordingly. So who imports, uh, or excuse me, who exports to the US, all right? Uh, China, as you can see, is the uh, dominant player, okay, with 50% uh, of the value and 73% of the volume, all right? So this is a big deal. Um, and we start talking about density uh, and concentration. Uh, this is, uh, you know, a, a, a warning sign. And it's not as, just as much that it's China in particular, but in any case, when you have this kind of concentration, you run into the risks as we talked about earlier with things like COVID. Um, so uh, we have to keep this in mind. Now, what's also interesting is, is look at South Korea. Um, their value, and that's the yellow box, uh, went up 26%, but their volume went up 92%. Um, and we're starting to see that move. And in, in a second, uh, on the next slide, we're going to uh, actually uh, show you why that's happening. And what you're going to see here is that, um, lo and behold, uh, South Korea doesn't have a tariff, whereas China has almost 11% current tariff, and it could escalate as high as almost 18.5%. You can see a number of other countries that are out there. So no surprise that uh, uh, as more capacity come on, comes on in Korea, uh, that, um, that US uh, companies are taking advantage of that capability. Now, the other interesting part, as I mentioned, is that uh, um, you know trade happens around the uh, US and we really have to think about that. And so who interesting enough is the top importer of uh, lithium ion batteries is China, right? And who is the top exporter? Lo and behold, it's the US. So when we start looking at these situations and you know they're not always simple, there's not always a, a black and white, well, so-and-so has it all and so-and-so wants it all and they can't get it type of story. It's really very complex, right? 
Now, what's interesting as we look at this is that, you know, what's exacerbating the whole situation is really electric vehicles and the demand for those. Now, China is also the leading producer of uh, batteries, okay, uh, for electric vehicles. Uh, but it's also the leading assembler of, of products that in many cases use lithium ion types of batteries. So what we're seeing here is actually, you know, uh, I'll call it China from a, just a sheer volume perspective is really uh, pulling a lot of that demand, which makes it obviously harder for us to source. Um, if we start thinking about this and we said, what do we want to do for risk diversification? Uh, there's really kind of two stories here. One of them is increasing U.S. capacity, and that's actually happening. And, you know, just serendipitously uh, speaking, uh, uh, last week, uh, LG, who is one of the top manufacturers in the globe, um, actually uh, settled a lawsuit with a company called uh, HK Innovation, or excuse me, SK Innovation, uh, who was uh, actually building plants in the U.S. for um, uh uh, uh, to work in partnership with, I believe, Ford and some other automotive manufacturers, but we're stopped from doing that because of uh, 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 technology uh, uh, impingement. So, um, you know, here's a case where, um, uh, you know, once they settle their, their uh, uh, patent suits, um, that they're now going to be able to move ahead. Now, the other thing, obviously, as I mentioned here, you notice too, is going with uh, South Korea as an option. So if we move on to pharmaceuticals, okay, the same story here in terms of looking at um, uh, why, uh, you know, uh, why things are the way they are today, all right? So first we look at the imports. We can see that for pharmaceuticals, uh, you know, with the, with the um, pandemic, uh, we saw a pretty dramatic increase in volume. You can see here in terms of, again, this is a left is in a declared units perspective, a little over 100 million and moving up to 140 million. All right. Uh, but interesting enough, look at the, the second chart here. Uh, from a value point of view, there was actually um, a reduction in declared value here. So, uh, you know, um, the markets are more efficient than we think. Uh, not every market is flexible. Uh, but in this case, um, what we're clearly seeing here is that, um, you know, there was uh, uh, ample capacity out there uh, uh, to be able to handle this. Uh, that's always a combination of, of uh, domestic and an international. And so uh, this situation is uh, really a little bit different than the one we just looked at. So if we say, where is this coming uh, from to the U.S.? Here's a... Uh, uh, top exporters. Uh, again, you look at it here from a, a value perspective. Uh, Ireland is the uh, top uh, export company into the U.S. Um, and but when you look at uh, uh, the 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 volume, if you will, um, Ireland is way down on the list. All right, and then equally looking here at. at uh, India and Mexico in particular, let's just take Mexico doesn't even show up on the value list, but it shows clearly up as number two on the volume list. Now, why is this? Well, there's different kinds of, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals. Uh, some generics and stuff are, are relatively inexpensive, as, you, as we all know. And obviously, there's much more uh, sophisticated uh, drugs that are out there that are very, very pricey. So you see places like uh, Ireland and Switzerland uh, focused on higher value uh, pharmaceuticals and equally um, you see uh, Mexico and India uh, driving volume. So again, not always a uh, simple uh, picture to uh, view. Now in this case, um, we're also gonna look here at uh, global trade. 
And this is, uh, again, another very interesting um, uh, uh, perspective here. So we start on the uh, uh, importer side of it. Switzerland is number one. Uh, uh, and the uh, U.S. is number three uh, on the import point of view. And on the export point of view, um, the U.S. Is, is number one and Switzerland is number two. Um, now, do we think, you know, and, and Switzerland is taking a lot more drugs than anybody else because it's a pretty small country versus the U.S.? That's not the case. We actually know that also they are a um, uh, large uh, processor of pharmaceuticals. So Think of it as getting things in bulk versus uh, uh, finished product distribution and so forth plays into this. But I also think when you look at this particular uh, chart here, that the U.S. is um, a significant, and you can see it as 22% on the chart, uh, of the world's uh, supply uh, of pharmaceuticals from an export perspective. So we're in a much different situation here. So while we are a big consumer, all right, at number three, we're... Uh, you know, by far the top um, uh, exporter. So PPE, this was another hot topic. Uh, if we were here a year ago, uh, th this would be on every uh, uh, business's mind, how they protect their people, where can they get uh, personal protective equipment and so forth. And so no surprise, you can see that the huge uh, increase in volume um, over the uh, really a, a one quarter period is amazing how much uh, uh, was imported into the US. Obviously prices went up. Uh, I think anybody who was buying it for themselves could clearly see that as well. So um, no surprise there, but look at how this changed over the course of the year. So uh, there was quite a bit of, um, I'll call it a reduction here. We, you know, there are many stories that you saw on, um, uh, on uh, the news um, that where uh, companies were you know, shutting down, I'll call it their, maybe their uh, gin making capabilities as an example and going to um, making, you know, things that helped, uh, you know, disinfect. And then we had people that uh, made apparel that all of a sudden were now making masks and all kinds of stuff like that that happened. So you had a lot of domestic ramp up as well. So what you're seeing here is that the, that the, we're not quite closed the gap versus um, the previous year. And obviously that's not going to happen because of the pandemic at this point in time. But the, but the value part of it closed significantly here. So, you know, U.S. manufacturing really helped in, in this particular case as well. So looking at the top exporters to the U.S., uh, no surprise, uh, China is the top exporter to the U.S. for PPE uh, at uh, almost 29%. However, uh, Mexico is not that far behind them at 21 um, and that's from a value perspective. From a volume perspective, though, look at China at almost 47%. And just as a FYI here, that, that chart should say um, uh, it really should be around volume and not value. Um, so uh, as we look at this, um, uh, also from a perspective overall globally, uh, there was a uh, almost 57% increase in 2020 for PPE versus 2019 in terms of value, but a, a over 100% increase in volume. So if we move on then to, you know, how this uh, PPE is moving around the globe, um, you can see again here, China is the top importer. Um, I would say that's that's not surprising uh, given the size of China and, and also the just the Herculean effort that they put into, uh, uh, you know, attempting to address the pandemic. Um, you know, so clearly, uh, I think this uh, did put some pressure, obviously, on early 
particularly for the U.S. in uh, 2020, in terms of getting uh, PPE. Um, uh, the other, uh, and from there as we go, uh, there's really, you know, just a, such a break, all right? With China at 47%, U.S. is really at 9% as the, as the next uh, importer here. Now, what's also interesting is we move to the other side of the charts here. We look at who's the top exporter, and lo and behold, it was us. All right, and, that, and if you remember back uh, early uh, in 2020, there was a little bit of grumbling around how we were providing uh, uh, PPE to uh, China and other parts of the world um, in particular. Um, you know, again, also there's not one type of PPE, there's different kinds and, and uh, uh, but overall through the year, you can see that we were a significant uh, provider uh, to other countries. Um, so, when we start looking at, I'll call it the give and take and something we'll get into here in a minute as we talk about, let's say these different uh, uh, examples that we just went through, um, you know, why all of a sudden PPE was maybe in the short term an issue for us, but in the long term, not really. Well, Chris, I mean, a lot of great, uh, you know, uh, data there. And I, I think as you were going through it, you know, uh, I couldn't help but think about, you know, we, we talked so much about the, the power of data and collecting data, right? But then really the key question is, you know, what do you do with it, right? And, and kind of be able to analyze it and kind of see some of the insights that come out of it. So uh, before I get to my last question, I guess as a way to wrap up what you just presented, I mean, what, what are your main takeaways then from these three industries that you talked about from, from a vulnerable, vulnerability standpoint? Well, they are pretty mixed here. It is an interesting tale across the board. Uh, you know, lithium ion at this point in time, uh, we put this one as a high risk, especially for things like electric vehicle batteries. Um, uh, and, and just I'll call it given, uh, you know, uh, the amount of uh, import that China takes in at this point in time, uh, you know, the funny part is that could be for products that, uh, you know, come back into the US, but really, um, you know, as we look at this overall, it's, it's still fairly concentrated. Um, pharmaceuticals is a more mid to low uh, risk. You, you looked at the diversity of countries that were supplying the U.S. and, and just globally, uh, the fact that the U.S. is also a leading exporter, you know, plays heavily in this one. And then when it comes to PPE, it's really low. Um, you know, the, we saw how much we caught up now. When you have something like the pandemic, you know, that hits the way it did, uh, this maybe speaks to a whole nother conversation around, you know, uh, how much inventory we should have for for things and 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 so forth. But um, really, if you look at the effort in the U.S. in particular to scale up for it, it was actually pretty amazing. So we see this one really as low. Yeah, and I and I know that there's more detail in the uh, in the white paper in the report that you've put together, as well as analysis of other industries as well. So I'll I recommend to our viewers, and we'll, we'll include the link. Uh, you know, in our write-up about this episode for folks that are interested in downloading the report. Uh, but as a way to wrap up the conversation, Chris, I mean, what, you, you know, we talk about converting, you know, data and insights into action. So what actions should companies take in response to this type of analysis? I mean, what, what are some leading practices out there? Well, I think the first one is get a handle on the global flow of commodities that are around your business. Um, like I said, a lot of people know their supply chains extremely well. They might even know a little bit about their competition. And so I'll call it the people they compete with in their geography. But in, in reality, uh, there's so much business that goes on outside of the U.S. that to, to get a, really a handle on that, that flow. Um, the second thing is, you know, looking at uh, uh, tariffs. Uh, uh, you know, this is a, a fairly complex situation, uh, especially what's happened over the last uh, half a dozen years. And 
you know, sorting that out, I think is really important. Um, there are going to be alternate sources. Um, uh, there may not be the, you know, economically viable though. Um, and if you are going to invest, for instance, in, in sourcing internally, or quite frankly, even in other countries, uh, you need to get a handle on, on what that situation is going to look like. You know, and then lastly is, again, you got to know who you're dealing with. Uh, the U.S. government is, uh, you know, constantly adding names and organizations and so forth, countries even, uh, to uh, its uh, restricted party lists. Um, and it's not uh, such a black and white situation. Uh, a lot of companies have very complex organizational and ownership structures, you know, shells and so forth that you want to get a handle on. So, there are some, you know, the good news is that there's there's definitely the, I'll call it the data and the solutions out there that can allow you to quickly get a view of that. And so you can move a lot faster than maybe you would have uh, a couple of years ago to, to find out, you know, how you could possibly uh, make yourself a little bit less vulnerable to um, that, the, you know, the kind of situation we've been in the last year. Yeah, and, on, and as you were talking throughout, you know, the episode, I think it underscored for me, you know, we, we talk about the importance of collaboration, you know, in, in this industry. Uh, but when you look at here, you've got sourcing that comes into play. You've got logistics that comes into play. You've got global trade management and customs compliance that comes into play. Uh, and then obviously business intelligence and analytics, you know, so all those things are really all, you know, from a people process technology standpoint, from a data standpoint, are really all coming together in this whole question about assessing you know, uh, vulnerabilities in, in supply chains. Um, well, Chris, I mean, as always, you provided a wealth of, of, of information here and some, some great insights and data to, you know, uh, it, uh, put the spotlight on this topic, which I, I know is only gonna get more important and, and more and more companies are gonna be focusing on in, in the weeks and months to come. So again, thanks for making the time to be with us today. Well, great. Thanks, uh, Adrian, for the opportunity. Uh, you know, uh, this is a, I'll call it a, a very interesting and rapidly changing uh, subject here, uh, you know, just with the economy and, and uh, the pandemic and, and quite frankly, with the technology. So, uh, you know, I think this, there, there's more to come. Absolutely. And uh, I want to thank those of you that joined us. Uh, if you're watching this episode on demand, either at the uh, Descartes website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment for uh, Chris, uh, Chris, you can post it there and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Um, and again, I, I will be posting the uh, link uh, to the paper uh, for those of you that are interested in uh, downloading and, and, and accessing more of that information that Chris presented. Again, thank you for joining us and look forward to, forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.